So good morning, fellows. Um, just realizing today that uh, I told you about scheduling for our, our spiritual direction appointments. The reality is, if you have to use your phone, many of you are not using your phones. So you're going to have a difficult time uh, using the QR code. So what I'm hoping to do is between now and Mass to maybe make a couple of sheets uh, where you can just fill it out and I'll put it by my door um, so you can come and take a slot uh, if you choose to do so. So just thanks for your patience with that. Um, yesterday we sort of looked at our, our overall arc of the retreat or the main goal that we're driving towards is a deepened understanding of our identity as beloved sons but also knowledge of God as a loving father and that need to sort of overcome certain lies and tendencies that make us doubt our own belovedness, but also the reality of God as a loving Father. And so began very briefly, but really want to today in earnest, to look at the parable, focusing first on the younger son and then to spend more time on the older, all with themes that I believe are relevant for priestly formation. And so starting with the younger son, we're, we're basically just going to look at one line today, and that is Luke 15, verse 13. After a few days, the younger son collected all of his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. And so... He's left the father's house, and he's gone to this distant country where nobody knows him, arguably nobody knows his father. He is not known as a son. He's essentially abandoning his identity. And there, of course, he wasted his inheritance on loose living. It doesn't explain exactly what that is, but you can imagine that he is not living in and with the dignity that he has as a son. So normally, whenever we look at this parable, we focus on the sin of the younger son. Look at these terrible things he did, giving his money away, arguably on drinking and women and partying and all that. But I want to focus on something else, something a little bit deeper instead. It's the temptation that we all face that really runs at the heart of this loose living that certain individuals are prone to fall in. And then I want to explain it by referring to um, a homily that I gave probably in my time as a priest is the one that upset the most people, but upset them in a good way particularly because at the end they had to admit that I was right. Had to admit that I was right in this. And it's a homily I gave several years ago. If you dig it up, you could probably find it online. On, and I gave this to, you'll see what part of the reason that they were upset is because I gave it to college students. It was on Disney's The Lion King. Not the live action one, but the, the, the cartoon one from the early 90s. If you know The Lion King, I'm sure most of you have seen it. It's basically taking the, the, an attempt by Disney, we'll say, to take the typical hero myth, the mono myth, 
and apply it in um, sort of contemporary culture where you have the hero who is Simba who goes on this journey, a quest, searching for his identity, for his father, having to go through a battle. And in the typical hero myth, the hero before he sets out on that journey or at some point on that journey, he has to go through a period of trial and testing, usually by journeying with uh, a wise or older wizard. And then on the other end of this trial period, he emerges ready to complete the quest. And so in contemporary culture, we can see the application of this hero myth that was sort of uh, brought out by um, our, our friend uh, Joseph, uh, not what I'm call Joseph Campbell in the monomyth and the hero of the thousand faces. See it in the Lord of the Rings, Aragorn, Frodo, filling that sort of idea of what it means to be hero. And even Star Wars, Luke Skywalker going through the trials in order to claim his identity, to face his father, and to achieve his quest. But here we have the same thing sort of applied in The Lion King. As I said, Mufasa, who is the father, dies. And then Simba, who is the hero in this, flees. Now, he begins his journey. But unlike the normal monomyth, unlike the hero myth, he does not go to a period of trial, a period of training, like Kung Fu Panda did. But instead, he goes around for about 10 years to hang around with a pig and a rat. All right? How many of y'all have seen Lion, Lion King? Have y'all seen that? All right, you know what I'm talking about. Pig and a rat, whatever they are. They sing that song, Hakuna Matata. All he does is goof around. For this whole entire time, he just wastes his youth and, and enjoying life and having a good time and, and, and hanging out. But yet, somehow, he comes out on the other end, the hero, ready to face a score. No work, no responsibility, no training, no suffering, just goofing around, and all of a sudden he comes out ready to go and face his enemy and complete his quest. Now, the reason they hated me was because I criticized their favorite show. But the truth is, they all had to admit, it's right. This is a correct critique, that they take this important myth that means so much to humanity and twist it and distort it in a very, very postmodern and immature way. But for me, I think, maybe you'll say, Father, you're reading too much into this, maybe some of you hate me now, that it becomes symbolic a representative of our culture, where there's no period where we grow into maturity as men or as heroes, where there's a time of trial, of testing, of work, of discipline. In fact, the crucial time is an escape for responsibility, an escape from discipline, escape from reality, especially for men. College, after you graduate high school, doesn't become a period of time for many men of growing into maturity and responsibility, but it comes delaying adulthood, an extension of youth, squandering life on loose living, not growing into manhood, and a belief that somehow, well, success is just going to be given to you. 
when you get finished college, you're going to get a job. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. And I'm not here criticizing you millennials. It's not what I'm here to do. But the truth is, this is sort of the idea or the myth that many people in our culture have. And we can make a critique of it by saying basically it's a veiled narcissism. And here is the son not willing to die to himself, but seeking his own pleasure. No real commitment to father, no real commitment to family, no real commitment to the greater community. He's going to go and enjoy himself and have a great time hanging out at the beach, eating bananas, whatever they did in the movie, and then all of a sudden come out at the other end, oh, I'm a hero. I can go and do what I need to do. This is such a temptation for young men today. I believe that it is a serious problem, one that we're going to have to face. There are a number of books written on this. It plagues our culture, it plagues young men, and as a result, it's going to plague seminarians and priests of the future. Because there's no way you can avoid being born into and living in this culture. Another way that we can sort of uh, see this or envision it, and I also talked about this, is Jordan Peterson. Many of you know Jordan Peterson. Uh, his, His message tends to appeal to young men who realize that they are being brought up in the society of Hakuna Matata and don't like it. They want some order, they want some structure, they want some discipline. And what Jordan Peterson does is he takes, instead of the monomyth, he takes the myth of Pinocchio. Pinocchio, particularly Pleasure Island, and applies it to the culture today. And so, you know a little bit about this, what is Pleasure Island? This is where Pinocchio ends up, but this is where these boys end up who go and they play hooky, they don't go to school, where they can goof off and they can smoke and drink and commit vandalism. They never really have to grow up. But what happens is, is they don't realize it, they think this is great, it's Pleasure Island, but it's really a trap. Because gradually, over a period of time, when you are squandering your youth and you're not growing in discipline or in sonship, you are becoming a brain jackass. Becoming a donkey. In order to do what? To be enslaved, to to, to work in the mines or whatever they have there. And so the critique is, in this culture of perpetual immaturity, We have a group of of young men who are living on Pleasure Island and therefore are becoming brain jackasses. Brain jackasses. We don't need this in a culture, and we really, fellas, do not need this in the church. We do not need priests who are jackasses. Now, I know you're probably saying, oh, Father, you're Generation X, you just hate us all, of us millennials and our Generation Z. No, that's not the case at all. And I'm not trying to sound hypercritical, but it's something that I think culturally we have to face because uh, the, the priest and the church comes from the culture. And there are some good things we inherit, and there are some negative things that we also inherit and struggle with. But we know that, that this 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 culture that tends to perpetuate immaturity, Pleasure Island, uh, has several features. And I want to 
look at three of them, not necessarily sort of abstract features, but very concrete features that contribute to a great degree a lot of the struggle that we face. And you know what these are. You know what these are. The first is the predominance or the prevalence of social media and the internet, not just on a computer, but primarily on the phones, the smartphones. Generation Z, this is the, the line of demarcation here. A generation of those who, being born, let's say, after the year 2000, 2001, 2002, have grown up in a world where they have never known existence without a smartphone. This is 2007, it's when the iPhone first came into existence. So now the, the smartphone, for good and for bad, has changed culture. The way that we particularly communicate with each other via text, via FaceTime, via the screen, and where with the computer and the internet that we can click back and forth, browsing, swiping forward, swiping back, swiping up, swiping down. Again, I'm not saying we need to get rid of our cell phones. I'm just saying that this affects our mentality. We have the swipe culture, very difficult to commit to be able to communicate effectively. Number two, along with this idea of the internet, we have the screens that communicate video games or binge-watching YouTube or Netflix. Again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to do any of these things, but the tendency is not just to do it for five or ten minutes, but to spend four or five, six hours immersed in the video game world. Or we watch one or two cat videos on YouTube, and the next thing you know, we've wasted three hours. Or binge-watching, you know, a whole season of The Office over the course of the weekend. I think the deeper issue here is really time management, but that's something to be discussed another time. But yet, still, what are we doing? We're not reading articles on spirituality or watching things that enhance our mind and culture. Or as what Neil Postman said in the late 80s, we are entertaining ourselves to death. All kinds of entertainment, which again, I like to be entertained. We need to be able to have fun and be playful, but it can be a danger. But third and finally, even those, those two other things that we mentioned can, can be considered somewhat neutral morally. Not the third one, it's pornography. You've heard me talk about this enough, or you've heard people talk about it enough particularly the access to free, hardcore pornography on the phone. Most young men are introduced to it at the age of 12. Women are looking at it much more now than they used to. To the point that most young men, 30 and under, are addicted to pornography. I don't have the exact statistic, but I would say 90 to 95% of young men growing up in Western culture are addicted to pornography. And this creates a lot of problems with the addictive personality, but also, I think, a tremendous amount of shame. You know, because we don't want people to know what we're looking at. That we're looking, or what we're looking at. That's a whole different story. And so we begin to hide. Hide from a vocation. We begin to hide from others. We begin to have a very difficult time uh, entering into relations with women, because one day, maybe our, our cells or our, our perversions will be exposed. But there, it creates very similarly sort of this 
fantasy world, creates a fantasy world, just like the video game can or just like the social media can. Now, except for pornography, as I said, the others are not objectively moral evil. This fantasy imagination can be good. Leaving reality in order to, to create a fantasy, to have times of fantasy, is not necessarily a bad thing. Reading, books, uh, playing games. I, I, here's a word some of you may know. LARPing, live-action role-playing. That could be good if you're discerning priesthood, because you're never going to get a date, particularly if you put it on your Tinder thing. As an adult playing Pokemon, particularly in public, yeah, that is vocation discernment right there. I remember, wow, there's guys in this, at, at the college center of the cafe playing Pokemon. I said, fellas, is this the vocation discernment group? Can I sign you up? Because you obviously are not interested in ever getting a date. <laughs> ever. So again, these things, of course, are, are not necessarily wrong, but the thing is, is they all share a couple of things that are different than just reading or playing games or whatnot. The first is that technology enables all three of these things. Smartphone, screen, um, pornography, and also the video games. Not bad in itself, technology, but I don't think we can necessarily argue that it is neutral either. But also there's a certain mediation with the screen. There is a screen there that stops us from encountering reality directly. If we're on the phone, we're on the iPad, we're in front of the television instead of in nature, instead of encountering reality. But probably more importantly, that screen stops us from encountering people directly. Very easy to hide behind a screen or a text. I'm an introvert, please. I do not want to answer the phone. I'd much prefer texting you. I can get into conversation if I don't want to. But it does. It becomes a hindrance to authentic communication and communion. And we have a generation where a lot of people these days, young people, don't know how to have conversations. I was listening to a podcast where they're talking about this guy in the Northwest who uh, is in the police force in one of these big cities. And they're struggling to train the new cadets because they've been grown up so much on texting and communication via phone, they, they're scared to have a real face-to-face -face conversation. So what they do is they send the cadets out to the bars or to public places and force them to talk to people. Because as a cop, you're going to have to learn to talk to strangers. It's a real issue that we are facing. And so I'm not here to make a moral evaluation. I'm not here to make a moral evaluation. But, but what I want to do is highlight that deeper issue, that at some level, all of these things that we've discussed, whether morally neutral or morally reprehensible, at some level entail an escape from reality and responsibility. This is, this is the launching into the loose living. This is the launching into the fantasy world that the younger son does. That's the real root problem. Not living in reality, but living in a fantasy. And we all have a tendency to do this. Why? Is it too much pain, responsibility, burden in the world today? 
Some will say that it's difficult to suffer the ordinary. We don't want to be bored. We always want excitement or stimulation to sit quietly by ourselves. Oh, it's just way too much. Potentially, in our culture, we label liquid modernity where there's so much chaos, there's so little, so few solid things. We want certainty, we want control, and seeing that we don't have control around us, we can use our technology to gain control. To gain control in a video game, to gain control in pornography, particularly when it comes to a lot of the uncertainty and insecurity and sexuality. Most pornography is filmed and generated from the perspective of the man. So he can be in there, he can control, he can dominate the woman. But of course, this ends up playing out often in real life. Or even in the, the texting, we can leave people on red. We don't have to communicate immediately. We can exert some control. This is, I think, a big reality. We, we live in our world where there is no control. We feel uh, weak and uncertain. But if we escape into fantasy, then we can exert some control through our technology. It's a lot to think about right there and the tendency we all have. But what that does is it stops us from maturing. Instead of embracing our sonship and being childlike, we become childish. Whenever things get tough, whenever there's too much responsibility, we can escape from that. To rejection of the father, of adulthood, of discipline, responsibility. It's Peter Pan if we want to bring in another myth. And leads to a stunted emotional and intellectual growth. There's no real growth into being the hero, into going and passing from son to husband and to father. As you'll read about in an article that I suggest, it can lead to asadia, that spiritual sloth. This is not laziness, as you'll learn later when you study virtues, if you haven't already. Aquinas talks about it as the sort of sadness at the prospect of friendship with God. From my experience, it's more like a spiritual apathy or being anesthetized to spiritual things. Pornography particularly does this. The lust of the flesh kills the desire for the spirit. And from this arises, and again, this would be a whole talk, a certain sort of restlessness, particularly in the spiritual life. It's very hard to focus. We're distracted. It's hard to find rest and peace and prayer. We're going from one thing to another. A book I really want to recommend that you read over the course of the next year or two is by a guy named Pete Davis. It was published last year. It's called Dedicated. And he talks about a lot of what I'm mentioning today as he calls it infinite browsing mode. That we are constantly browsing, not only on the internet, but in our lives. No commitment, keeping our options open, having as many tabs open as possible, perpetually distracted. You might say we fall into that vice of curiositas. But it's all there to escape reality, to go into a fantasy world where we can exert a sense of control and of identity. Now, there are other ways we can do this. I'm not going to get into this a lot now, depending on how I feel, maybe a little bit more later. 
a fantasy world can not only be something that we escape to digitally, but the fantasy world could be nostalgia too. This is something that Pete Davis talks about in his book, that we're going to escape to a time in the past when everything was good, when there were no problems in the world, when there were no problems in the family, when there were no problems in the church. And we're going to go back to that. We're going to recreate it today. We're going to have all the trappings. It's going to look wonderful. We're going to create our own little paradise. But the truth is, you can't do that. It does not work. You cannot live an anachronistic lifestyle. The truth is, were things really that perfect back then? If they were, why did they all come crumbling down in less than two years, particularly in the church? But that's for a whole different discussion. We can't be living in the past. We have to do something different. We don't need men, and we really, fellas, don't need priests like this, and it's a constant temptation to live in this fantasy world. Because this is, A, what most of you here have been grown up with and all you know. And even if you don't, we're immersed in it. It's a constant battle for myself too, trust me, to live in reality and not want to escape into that fantasy world as the younger son did. And so, a question. How much time do we spend in fantasy versus reality? If we find out, boy, I'm spending a lot of time in fantasy worlds rather than reality, what's driving me there? Am I trying to escape something? What am I trying to control with my technology? And then connected to that, and we'll look at this a little bit more, how has it impacted my sonship, my own identity, my relation with the Father, even my relations with other people? Have I become more isolated? more alienated? Is that a reality? Am I facing more loneliness? Which, of course, when I face more loneliness, more alienation, then I want to go back even more into that fantasy world. It's a negative feedback loop. But how can we overcome? We're all going to face it. How can we struggle with this? How can we move forward where we stay in the Father's house and not go into some foreign country and a life of loose living. And this is more than just getting rid of our iPhones. I don't think that's necessarily the solution for most people. I'm going to offer three suggestions. First, to consider one eminently practical and the other two a bit broader. The first one is this, the practical one. Please put screen time on your iPhone or use digital well-being or something equivalent on your Android if you have to own an Android. Sorry, Android users. It's just so much more easier, much easier on the iPhone. It really is. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to go to heaven missing an arm than to hell with both arms. I don't know how we could be any simpler than that. When I ask people, what are you doing to concretely remove your access to pornography. Oh, well, Father, I'm praying more, or I'm putting a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary on my computer screen, or I put my phone in the kitchen. No, that's not what I asked. I asked, what are you doing to cut off your access to it? Nothing. Simply putting the phone away is not going to work. Like it's like alcoholic saying, you know, I don't want to drink anymore, so I'm going to pray some extra novenas, but I'm still going to keep a stock bar in my bedroom. 
You're not serious. You're not serious. You've got to block access to the pornography sites. I don't think Covenant Eyes is the greatest thing because you can get find ways around it. But iPhones have screen time. You can block off 90 to 95% of most websites, and those you don't, you can either add to the blacklist or the ones that get blocked that you shouldn't, you can add to a whitelist. But you also have downtime, where if you notice you look at your porn mostly at night, then you can cut off access to most apps from, let's say, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And if you find that you're spending eight hours on YouTube a day, you can limit it where you can only use YouTube for five or 10 minutes a day, and along with social media. Why are we not using this? Uh, For me, you do this first, then you do everything else. Well, Father, there's a code I can put on it. Give the code to somebody else. Now, granted, there are some little tweaks you probably need to do in there to make sure that you, you can't get around it, but you figure it out. And I can tell you, I have it, I, most of my phone locks off at 10 p.m. at night. I can use the internet for five minutes a day. And so it brings a lot of freedom. I don't think a priest should have a phone without these things today. I don't think a seminarian should either. Does it mean it's going to resolve all your problems? No, not at all. But at least it's going to take care of most of it. Number two, practice of the present moment. This is reality right here in this freezing cold chapel. On a Sunday, and most of you are not going to know if the Saints made the playoffs or not. So how it's going to work. It's living in the practice of the present moment. God reveals himself, not in the past, not in the future, but here. We live into focus. We focus on what's in front of us, where you are, the people you're with, and engaging in activities that help us focus. And there are a number of books and things that are written about this. You can do some gardening, you can do some cooking, art, whatever it is. These things make us, make us live in reality. They make us focus on what's going on right here. To take these habits that don't bring us into fantasy, but make us live in reality. This is great. A lot of it is in Pete Davis's dedicated book that I suggested. And for those of us here who are a little bit older, Take the advice of Michael Stipe to stand in the place where you live. This is where we are. Live right here. And third and finally, in the essay that I gave you for today is in the back by Deacon Jim Keating, who many of you know, is learn and practice contemplation. The essay is for seminarians, and he talks, a lot of what I talk about today is inspired by that, the tendency to live in the fantasy world, but what we need to do is cultivate contemplation in a genuine sacramental imagination. Yeah, the contemplation of beauty and of truth, but prayer is contemplation. More than reciting prayers, more than meditating and just thinking through things, but that Marian pondering in the heart the silent being with and receiving the Lord, learning to rest with Christ. That as we do that, as we enter into Christ's prayer, we do gain that sacramental imagination. Something I talked about with the the guys in sexual ethics is to be able to see beyond the surface, to see God acting in and through creation, to see the world as that sacrament revealing the Lord and his love in giftedness. 
Now, again, I can't teach you how to do contemplation, but hopefully over time you'll figure out deeper what that means. But that really, contemplation becomes not the escape from reality and the fantasy, but living in reality, but seeing the divine, the beautiful, revealing itself through creation, particularly here in the present moment. So what's your homework? Well, I do encourage you to pick up Deacon Keating's article, and for those who didn't pick up the one from Ratzinger, you can do so too. I've already seen some of them. A lot of the homework is is examining our conscience and asking ourselves questions and coming to a deeper self-knowledge. Where are you escaping into fantasy? What are you trying to escape? How are you trying to exert control? But most importantly, how has this escape from fantasy impacted your identity? particularly your understanding of sonship and God's fatherhood. How does this all tie back into our identity? I can't be a son if I am thinking that I am living in some weird porno world or I am some Comic-Con character. No, you're here. You're sons. You're starting to be priests. And so, is there some deeper wound or some conflict that I'm trying to run away from? Number two, uh, these are the first ones are all dealing with sonship and, and fantasy. Maybe we can begin praying about resolutions to be more dedicated, more anchored in reality in the present moment. To know, it's like, oh, this is when I tend to want to escape into the fantasy world. This is when I tend to want to escape in reality maybe to begin making some concrete resolutions for the new year, this is how I'm going to stay anchored in reality. And then finally, and probably most importantly, spend some time in contemplation. Just being with the Lord. To say, Lord, I'm here, I'm distracted, Uh, I'm tired, but I am here not trying to achieve anything, not trying to figure things out, but I'm here to receive. We're going to talk about that next, a little bit later on uh, in the retreat. To allow you to love me, allow you to communicate your identity or my identity to me. So that's your homework. I'm going to go and try my best to write up the schedule and post it uh, by my door for those who want to meet in the afternoons. Uh, we have mass at 1145, is that correct? Uh, then lunch, and then we'll have our next conference at 2, and we'll go from there. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It was in the beginning, it is now, and shall be, or without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.